Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Your friends in Christ, our text this morning is one of the better known miracles. All three synoptic gospels tell us about Jesus storming the sea, calming the storm at sea, not chilling the storm. Mark writes, And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. They cast off for the other side, for Gentile country, and a great windstorm arose. The language is fitting for the topography of the area. The Sea of Galilee is a little over 600 feet below sea level, and tall cliffs, the Golan Heights, border it to the east. Fierce winds get channeled and focused. Placid seas can quickly become anything but placid. The text also uses the language of Homer, a whirlwind or a hurricane. There's an intriguing overlap in our readings. It's the same word in the Greek translation of Job 38. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. And now a whirlwind descends on our Lord. I wonder, how many of you have ever been in a small boat and the waves are twice your height? It's a challenging situation. Will the boat rise and the sea pass underneath? Or will they break at just the wrong moment? Mark writes, the waves were breaking into the boat so that the water was already filling. We jump over the rest of the narrative to get to the punchline of the text. Who then is this that both the wind and the sea obey him? Well, this morning I'd like to offer a single answer, but in three parts. Who then is this? Quite simply, it is Jesus. Jesus is the Lord of creation. And Jesus' language is bold and decisive. It is actually nothing like the genteel king's English, peace be still. Or even if we add the exclamation marks in our English translation, peace be still. Actually, James Vels translates it, shut up and be muzzled. God, the creator, speaks. And there are numerous biblical parallels. Genesis 1, and God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And so it was the third day. There's an even more dramatic Old Testament parallel in Job chapter 38. God's third rhetorical question. Who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band? And prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, Thus far you shall come and no farther, and here shall your proud waves be stayed. Who indeed? The same one who stands up and shouts at the Sea of Galilee in the middle of a storm-tossed night. Have you ever tried shouting at the waves? It's a futile endeavor. And there were at least four men in that boat with more sea miles than I have that knew it very well. It doesn't work. Not ever. Until now. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Jesus speaks. He commands other miracles into fruition. All four of those fishermen were in Capernaum when Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, saying, Be silent and come out of him. The exact same be-muzzled word from our text. The point is simply this. 
Jesus has authority over creation. He commands the blind to see, the cripples to walk. He even commands a dead man to hear. And Lazarus walks out of the tomb. This is the power of the Creator over His creation. The words of Isaiah 40 belong to Him. To whom then will you compare me, that I should be called like Him, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see. Who created these? He who brings out their hosts by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of His might, and because He is strong in power, not one is missing. Also, the closing lines of that great Christological hymn in Philippians 2 belong to him. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. There, on the water, in the middle of a terror-filled night, with waves crashing in, the disciples learn, we learn, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is a Lord to be feared. It's the second part of our meditation. There's a great difference in the two fear words in our text. Jesus said to them, why are you so afraid? The word in the original connotes cowardice a lack of confidence, an utter lack of confidence. And Jesus is pulling no punches here. This is the second severe rebuke to his close disciples. The first came in 4.13 when they needed the parable of the sower explained. In many ways, they are not much different than the outsiders who don't know Jesus. And it will get worse. By Mark chapter 8 we hear, Do you not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes do you not see, and having ears do you not hear? And do you not remember? Those are Jesus' words addressed to the twelve. But let us not be too hasty pointing finger at them. Sometimes we are like those outsiders. We can be quick to call into question His help in the storm. Lord, are you sleeping? Is it not a care to you that we perish? At least grab a bucket and bail, would you? Jesus' rebuke falls on us. Why are you so afraid? The second fear word is not on Jesus' lips. It's actually in Mark's description, which means this is the way that Peter described the story for decades after the original event. They feared a great fear. In Mark's gospel, this word for fear is often associated with divine activity. In the next chapter, chapter 5, after the crowds see the drowned pigs floating on the Sea of Galilee, they're afraid, and they beg Jesus to leave. In chapter 10, it's the fear of the crowd that prompts the third and final passion prediction. But most dramatically, chapter 16, verse 8, And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they had not, said nothing to anyone, for they were Afraid. Who then is this? Again from James Vels's commentary. No doubt they were particularly confused with Jesus' mastery of the sea. Not only because such control is the domain of Yahweh, but also, and especially, because human attempts to control the sea were seen as the ultimate hubris 
a blasphemous statement of exaggerated self-worth that challenged deity itself. Close quote. Who then is this? The great calm held the answer in its stillness. It stood still in awe in the presence of the divine. This is the fear of the Lord that permeates the Psalms and the Proverbs. Psalm 111, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Or Proverbs 23, let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. It's also characteristic of the New Testament church. After Paul's dramatic conversion, we read in Acts 9, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Fear of the Lord, it's the true attitude of worship. We come into his presence in awe, simply overwhelmed by the grace and mercy of a God who loved us while we were still sinners. This is the positive fear of the Lord because Jesus is the Lord who saves. The third part of our meditation. A little boat, a hurricane of wind, crashing waves to the point it was beginning to fill, and then two words. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. They arrived safely on the other side, and the ministry continued, this time extending to the Gentile nations. The words of our psalm are particularly appropriate here. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us, then over us would have gone the raging waves. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Redeemer now say, many are the storms of our lives, our congregation, our souls, and in all of them, Jesus is the Lord who saves. The storms of broken relationships a treasured companionship ends and we find ourselves isolated. And isolation can turn us in on ourselves. Luther used that image, being curved in as a description for original sin. The storms of broken health, favorite pews now empty. Claire's pillow is still in the third pew. Holes in our memories. Our own mortality staring us in the face. And storms of broken promises. Yes, we've all been hurt by friends and family and co-workers, but really the deepest hurts are the promises we have broken. When we see the pain our hasty or our insincere words have caused, Jesus is the Lord who saves. Shut up! Be and remain muzzled. He shouts at the wind and the waves. Peace, be still. Jesus curves us back outward, first to himself through water and word. We celebrate that again this morning as Ryan received the washing of regeneration and rebirth. Washed and redeemed, he turns us back to each other and those he has placed in our midst to serve them in his name. Peace, be still. Jesus brings healing. 
If it is his pleasure in this life. If not, then the eternal healing of the age to come. We have his promise. 